everyone, this is Abe Chen. And I'm Matt Yao. Welcome to On The Rise. This show is a series of curiosity-driven conversations with creatives, entrepreneurs, and athletes about the life and the career that they're building. In this podcast, we navigate their habits, decisions, and goals to better understand how we can apply these learnings to our own lives and hopefully yours too. We appreciate the time you're taking today to tune in. And if you liked it, please share this and drop us a review so that more people can hear from our friends who are on the rise, but like all of us are still trying to figure things out. Today's guest is Keshav Narula, college dropout, startup founder, and health enthusiast, among many other things. Abe first met Keshav through a mutual friend as we were starting our product managers in New York City community. They got coffee, and just a couple weeks later, we were talking about having him on as our very first guest. This was my first time ever talking to Keshav, so although I did a little bit of research beforehand, I was really coming in with little context and an open mind. In this episode, we cover a wide range of topics which reflects Keshav's intense curiosity and value in continuous learning. We talked about how he decided to drop out of college to pursue his first startup, what it's like living in New York City as a founder, his five pillars of living a long, healthy life, and much more, including the topic of astronomy, which I confused with astrology. Note to self, being interested in the stars and planets is different than checking CoStar every day. Without further ado, here's our first episode with Keshav Narula. All right. Hey, hey, welcome everybody. Today, we've got my friend Keshav here, along with my co-host Matt. This is our podcast where we hope to bring on some folks who are doing and building amazing things in this world. They're on the rise, and we just want to be able to introduce their way of thinking, why they're building what they're building, what they're doing with their time to all of you viewers out there. And so with that being said, I'm pretty honored to introduce my friend Keshav. We met in New York City through a group that we have, a little community, got introduced from a friend a while back ago, and he is just one of the most interesting guys I've had a chance to talk with so far. Thank you so much, Abe. Um, it's been so fun getting to know you over the past few few weeks, uh, and I'm excited to join you as well, Matt. Um, I can do a quick intro of you know just my background, uh, and then we can kind of kick it off. So my name is Keshav. Um, I was born and raised in India, moved to the U.S. when I was about 11 years old, been in California pretty much most of my life, uh, studied computer science in college, uh, dropped out of college, started my first company. Then I realized I had so much to learn, so I like joined a startup, and I learned a lot from there. And then I started my second company, uh, which is where we are today. So that's sort of a TLDR of just my background leading up to this point. Can you tell us about the first app? Like, what was it? Who, who was it for? I mean, I think the goal of, of building the first app wasn't anything profound. It was just like, I want to build something cool build something that I actually would use myself. Around that time, I, I was really obsessed with note-taking. And, you know, growing up, I was super into design. And everyone, you know, complimented me on my design. They're like, why are you studying computer science? You should be in design. So I thought, what if I take everything that I know about coding and blend it with design and, like, really good design principles? So my first note-taking app was called Notelica. And it was, it was really all about, like, connecting different notes together each category had its own color so like if you just do like hashtag you know startups the background of the note would automatically change um, and then you know it had like the night mode and I was like wow I built night mode before it was cool and so it took me about like maybe one month to build this app and then I continued to use this app for myself and then I like sort of shared it with my friends and they really they really like liked it I think at some point I had 70 active users I was like, whoa, I made it, guys. This is it. <laughs> um, but then I realized that there's, you know, the first app wasn't about solving a problem that people had. It was really just expressing my own creativity and wanting to learn something. So 
So I just want to ask, like you studied computer science, you went through the classes, and really for you it was about taking that knowledge and actually seeing how it worked in the real world. Was that something that's just important to you inherently and why? You know, I have this like purpose in life, this value that I want to help people become better versions of themselves. And so sitting in class, you know, I was like, I could be home and I could be, you know, learning everything online. Like, why do I have to be in school? Um, and so there was so much tension uh, between me and my professors because I would, I would say like, hey, you want me to do this homework assignment? What if I use the same concept, but like do something else with it? And they're like, no, you have to do this homework assignment this way. And I wasn't super rebellious, but I was like, this is kind of limiting. Like, this is frustrating because like education should be all about exploring your creativity and curiosity. And here I was, you know, just suppressing it. Did you find any community in college that felt the same way as you? Or did you feel like more of an outsider with that kind of perspective? Yeah. Honestly, man, there were a few people in my state school that were like that. But I think I, I was I, I was feeling like the odd man out because everyone there was like, yeah, let's go. Let's go work at a tech company. I just want to like learn these theoretical concepts. And for me, it just never really came from that place. It was like, how do you create actual value? I'm, 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 tr I'm trying to give my parents a good life. And I was like, fuck it, I'm not gonna go study for this midterm, I'm gonna go build an app. Like, and I didn't do particularly well on the midterm, but at the end of the day, when I look back, like none of that really mattered. So you seem like someone that's definitely a self-starter, like you reject like the traditional structure of college and you're, you're off running around like learning on your own. So nowadays, like how do you think about how you spend your time and what you consume, whether it's like, newsletters, YouTube videos, books and stuff like how much intention do you put into uh, like your content diet? Is what I just love learning about everything. Everything from biochemistry, from uh, anthropology to psychology to behavioral economics. I'm just so excited about understanding the world. So I follow people that I find interesting. I kind of like follow um, Mark Andreessen's diet, which is, you know, he goes through Twitter. If he likes one tweet, then he follows a person. And if he doesn't like a tweet, then he blocks the person altogether. Um, the people on Twitter, honestly, like I just don't know who I follow. I just like, just follow people. Um, but the book, one of the books that I really like that is not about startups, is called Sapiens. And I just like killed through maybe like 200 pages within the first week. Uh, and then the book, on startups. Um, I know people always talk about Zero to One, that's a really good book. But the one book that I really like, is called Purple Cow by Seth Godin. You know, it's so relevant in our day and age of building companies because Purple Cow, the premise of the book is that, you know, if you see a cow outside, you're like, oh, that's a cow. And you keep going, do your thing. But let's say you're driving and you see a purple cow, you're like, holy shit, wait, a purple cow? I have never seen a purple cow, like what is this book? Or what is this cow? And so the, the premise of the book is like, how do you build something that's remarkable, that gets people to stop and think and care? And so it's such an interesting metaphor. And I try to carry that with myself as I'm thinking about building companies, which is how do you build that purple cow type of an experience? Because nowadays we're just bombarded left and right with so many different apps. So how do you become the purple cow amongst the white cows? So how do you, <laughs> how do you become the purple cow? Like what is the purple cow of whatever you're building? I actually don't know where your startup is. So this is the perfect transition to that. Um, I wish I could say like, you know, I read the purple cow and then I was like, you know what? I figured it all out, but we're actually in the process of a pivot. Really what we're trying to build is we were trying to build a social commerce company. 
there's just so much value being created for like coastal elites, right? People in New York City, people in San Francisco. We're like, who's building value for like the average American? For like people like my parents. And so we were thinking like, okay, well, one, one of the things that everyone does is that they shop, you know? And it was around, it was around pandemic. So what if we bring something from China that we saw working really, really well, which is group buying and community group buying and bring it to the U.S. and see if something like that would work. For the audience, let's actually wind it back and explain a bit of what community group buying actually means. Group buying is essentially the con like this is this concept where you actually work together with people to increase your buying power to reduce the price of a specific product. So that's jargon talk. But what I really mean is, imagine like you're buying toilet paper. Well, you can go to Walmart and you can get toilet paper. But you know. It's what if you just went to Costco and you got toilet paper? Well, there's a key difference there because Costco is a wholesaler, right? Like they actually have deals with all these brands. And because people buy in bulk, the cost of each individual unit goes down. And so the same concept can be applied more atomically, which is what if, let's say, you know, Matt, let's say you were buying toilet paper. You could buy this toilet paper for $15.99 by yourself. But what if you bought this with Abe and myself? The three of us, you increase basically the demand by 3x, which means you're able to bring the price down because you know if we can like 3x and 5x the demand, then we can actually get better wholesale prices from like the wholesalers and the manufacturers. So it's really all about like creating collective power to bring the cost down and help save people money. We're back from a, from a quick bathroom break. I was looking at your personal website and you have like one section of it where you have your interests. And what stood out to me was astronomy. And I wanted to get your your like view on what do you even think is under the umbrella of the term astronomy? Because when I hear the word astronomy, I, I think about like horoscopes and there's that app that like, I don't remember the name, but you like check it every day and it tells you you're like, yeah, it, it like tells you uh, today's gonna be a great day. Like crush it because you are this horoscope so just want to like get your views on astronomy what do you believe in and what do you think is pseudoscience yeah well i i think you're referring to astrology oh yeah. astrology <laughs> is all about these are two very different yeah. terms <laughs> yeah, yeah. so astrology is all about like the the horoscopes and like your sign right and like that i don't really believe in because uh, that's more pseudoscience uh, i'm more about astronomy which it's helped me really see the world in a different way um I remember like freshman year of college, you know, contemplating like, should I leave college? Then I remember like going up to like a rooftop one day and I laid back, I looked up and I was like, we're just like insignificant. Honestly, but that perspective was super like, um, like liberating it in a lot of ways because then I don't have to like live my life uh, according to how other people want me to live it. Like I don't have to live in dogma. I can do anything I want because doesn't matter if I fail, doesn't matter if I succeed, I will die one day just like everyone else and no one will remember me. Like, do you remember anyone from like 1300s who like tried something and failed? Probably not, but like I'm sure like they spent their life worrying so much about like, what will people think of me? Well, everyone they knew of are dead and long gone. The way you're describing that, also very embarrassing of me to confuse astronomy and astrology. But like the way you're talking about like looking up at the stars, realizing, you know, life is short. We're all like we're all insignificant. This is just like one blip in the in the grand scheme of things. Like, 
that ties in with what you were saying in the beginning of deciding to take a leap and you know try and try and do a startup so you know i think like at least for me i view founders as one category of people that are like willing to take the leap of faith people that just pursue what they really care about and kind of like allow themselves to deviate from this traditional path of like graduating from good school you get internships you get a job you climb the corporate ladder is there like is there an event in your past that you can point to that said like this is why i am willing to take these risks or do you even view them as risks? Or like what do you think about yourself allows you to be like this because most people are not like this honestly i actually don't think it's a risk that's the crazy thing which is my my friends tell me like you're taking a big risk and you know they're like senior pms and they're like directors and i'm like how is this risky what is the worst case that can happen worst thing that can happen if i do something i can't really think of anything worse than like like getting attacked by a grizzly bear like maybe if if that's what was happening if i run a company then i'm like you know what that is that is risky but like the worst thing that can happen is i fail and i learn so much it reminds me of um this saying by Confucius, which is that, you know, our greatest glory is not in never falling, but rising up every time you fall. And so for me, it was all about like, you know, I'm good, like, in my life, I will probably fail more than I will succeed. So why not just like fail as many times as I can so that like a few times I can like run into success? Yeah, I think that the whole idea behind this podcast actually is partially based on the fact that what uh, Matt told me around we want to treat ideas like cattle, not dogs, not pets, right? Sorry for the uh, cattle lovers out there, but you should be able to try new things and not hold too dearly onto those things and keep going and keep trying because sometimes just doing is more than enough rather than trying to strive for perfection. Repetition, getting back up there, doing, I think that's what opens up channels to you. Um, yeah. But I actually want to ask you maybe a bit of a personal question because in the beginning you said, you know, you are so grateful for your parents having moved out here and done so much for you, and you just want to be able to provide for them. I think, in my mind, if it's a personal decision limited to you, like failure is limited. But if you want to just provide a great life and a cushy life for you and your family, wouldn't you go to the Googles of the world and just take a job there and, and rise to the ranks steadily? Yeah, yeah. So I guess just to kind of like sort of bring it all back, it was, it was really all about just finding a good balance between what I find will like give me content in life and also ways I can support my parents because my parents are workaholic they can't imagine themselves being at home but they've given me the privilege that I can live in to express myself and like live my life the way that I want to and I think that is so rare and I am always grateful for my parents even though I don't always express it to them because you know brown parents are usually closed off emotionally but like I, I try my best to like relay that to them as much as I can so earlier I asked you about like what are you reading or like how do you think about what information to consume and you said like nowadays a lot of what you consume is about how to build a startup because you're, you're a founder and you're trying to build a successful company and then also I found a tweet that you said about basically encouraging founders to like care about their mental health and so I was just wondering like what do you do for yourself to take care of your mental health but also do you think there's reasons why um because i've seen this like across other founder friends do you think there's a reason why founders 
end up struggling with mental health at like maybe a higher percentage than other people yeah i mean when you're a founder you're told to just suppress everything else and just build this company and so i think it puts a lot of like pressure again it's a dogma it's like what does a typical founder do a typical founder is like the elon musks of the world where they just ignore everything and they you know just are just extreme like just machines i found myself being in the same narrative i, I was stressed the hell out during the pandemic i mean the pandemic was scary in and of itself but then the stress of running a company and then like having expectations and things like that uh, and then not going out as much you know not having like the social support it all made me extremely stressed and i think there was uh, a month maybe like f a duration of like four or five months when like stress was like peaked like all-time high um i was having detrimental effects on my physical health uh, because of that, and I, I think that was sort of the like the, the moment for me to say like, I need to focus on myself because if I don't feel healthy and good, then I cannot expect myself to build a successful company. Um, and I think that's when I got into therapy for the first time, and I was like, whoa, wow. this world is really good. Like I really like this, whatever this is. And then my therapist recommended that I listen to this podcast called uh, Huberman Lab about stress, and that literally like changed my life listening to Huberman and he talked about sort of the science behind stress and you know when people talk about like respiration and like breath work and I'm like come on like that's just that's like woo woo right like it doesn't really work but then when Huberman broke it down from like a scientific lens I was like whoa there's something so profound here that I just completely ignored that I can do today right now to reduce my, my like reaction to stress and then I went on this like rabbit hole and learned as much as I could about sleep and exercise. And I read this book called Lifespan about how do you like think about longevity and increasing lifespan. Uh, and then it sort of got me into this rabbit hole of like wanting to live as long as I can. But founders typically, you know, feel like they have to do something because people and VCs expect them to be a certain way. And again, I'm just sort of a rebel. I'm like, you know what? Let me see if I can try something different. And when I posted that tweet, I had so many founders reach out to me and they were like, thank you so much for writing this. I had so many VCs reach out to me and they were like, I appreciate you writing this and sharing this with like the other founders because they need to hear that. This focus on mental health. That's an awesome story. And for me, I've been thinking more about like causes of stress recently. And so your story really helped me put that into context as well. For myself, it's like the things that stress me that I realize shouldn't be stressing me are the things that I can shed more you have the choice uh, I think what I've realized recently to your second point was my health was the thing that I could not shed so health problems sickness that stressed me out even more and so then looking into how you can live a healthier life and feel better every day became more of a priority for me I think you introduced me to this really interesting concept of the health span uh, a lot of people talk about a lifespan which is how long you're set to live but I think what's more important to me and what people should consider is how long do you live a healthy life? How long do you live independently, feeling good every day, able to do the things you want to do? And I think there's a lot that maybe you could actually speak to some of those uh, practices that you do to try to be healthier every day from all the stuff you've read. Yeah, I, I sort of resonate with everything you said there. Longevity is all about living a healthy life for a longer period of time. Lifespan is all about like living long. And for me, I want to strike a better balance. So I, I do have like certain supplements that I take, 
But supplements are like the second order of things, right? Like the first order of things are like the five components of, of life that I really focus on. I call it the five pillars of a healthy life. Number one. Is this your, is this your term or is this like some guru? I don't think it's, I, I just like wrote this in a journal myself. Um, okay, we'll, we'll say it's yours then. Yeah, let's, yeah. And, and those pillars are like very basic. You hear everyone talk about them. Number one is sleep, right? If number one is sleep, if you don't sleep well, no supplement is going to save you from neurological disorders, cardiovascular disease, stress, inflammation. Like, talk about it, you know, inviting death. That is how you invite death if you don't like get enough sleep. So from sleep, then I go to exercise. Actually, I just want a quick comment on that because that's interesting. Yeah. I think there is a wave of people glamorizing, waking up really early to get in a workout. And I think those are the people doing it well are the people who are still getting enough rest. And so maybe the audience sees that and they're like, I'm going to sleep at 12, wake up at four and get a workout in. When you're recommending like sleep is number one, get that yeah. sleep in and then sort of hit the workout so that you can really get yeah. the effects from it. Dude, Abe, like I, I was like that. You know, back in the days I used to listen, listen to Gary V and he's like, what are you doing <laughs> sleeping at 6 a.m.? Get up, right? Like grind, content, content, content. And I was like, yeah, I got to be like <laughs> sleeping only four hours. And then I was miserable when I did that. So you just have to like, you know, listen to your body and figure out how much sleep do you really need. Today I track my sleep through the aura ring and it helps me sort of get a good sense for like, was it restful? Did I get enough REM sleep? Honestly, just listen to your body. And if it's like nine hours, well, it's nine hours. If it's like six hours, well, it's six hours. Just go with the flow and let your body sort of like figure things out versus listening to some guru talk about get X sleep and like wake up at X hour. So I feel like there's this, yeah, there's this trend of like tech bros that like follow the Huberman podcast that have all the like devices, track everything, try to quantify their health. Like how do you think about striking the right balance between caring about health span and all that stuff, but also not sacrificing on like having fun. Like one of the things I've been, dealing with living in New York now is one of the main ways people socialize and congregate is by going out late at night and I care about sleep and I'm also trying to not drink or I'll drink once in a while but trying to minimize it as much as possible so how do you find ways to like not sacrifice on having fun while also still hitting all of these health span goals no way <laughs> that's an optimization problem because you're optimizing for everything all at once and it's everything is a trade-off in life. You know, if you're focusing on biohacking, well then, you shouldn't be drinking, you should be fasting all the time. Uh, like you have to quit essentially everything. I remember listening to David Sinclair talk about his diet and like this guy who's like, reduced his like epigenetic age by five years and all he eats is like carrots and salad. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? I'm happy dying young if I could eat like a good meal if I can just finish the thought on five pillar, because it translates really well to what you're describing. Exercise is important. Uh, nutrition is important. Like getting good food, um, unhealthy food is also kind of good because if you feel good about what you eat, well, that's the only thing that really matters. If, you're, if your brain thinks something is good for you, physiologically speaking, it'll be better than you thinking something is bad. Like if I eat ice cream and then I'm like, you know, I'm treating myself with some ice cream, like this is good for me. I'm going to have like good effects on my body than if I'm like, I feel so guilty eating this pint of ice cream because it's called the belief effect. Whatever you believe, your body just calibrates based on that. 
this kind of reminds me of um, chocolate milk and all those chocolate milk ads <laughs> where it's like you see these uh, professional athletes training and then they they go into the locker room and then they pull out that like cold glass of chocolate milk and then you you like look into who paid for the ad and it's like the dairy industry saying like chocolate milk's the best post workout thing you could possibly consume. Yeah, but also chocolate milk isn't too bad because when you exercise, um, your body is ready to like utilize sugar and glucose. So after a workout, you can eat something very very sweet because your body will just utilize the sugar and it will not store it. So if you just understand how the body works, then you are able to just bring in certain elements, you know, to like figure out when you can eat sweet and dessert such that it's not too bad for you. Just to finish off my thought on the pillars so I can get to the the key point that you're describing which I struggle through Matt all the time. Uh number 3 is nutrition, number 4 is meditation. But the last component that I think is so critical that I just totally like neglect all the time which is uh social socializing. I was reading a research paper on blue zones and how there's like so many different blue zones in the world. Like the color blue. The color blue. So blue zones is basically like certain parts in the world where people live the longest. And there's this weird place in Italy called Sardinia. And these people like are day drinking. They're eating steak, they're drinking wine, and they're living to like hundreds of years. And they're like, "What the heck?" <laughs> like everything that everyone's talking about just like it doesn't add up. There's so much dissonance. And one thing that they do really really well is that they have the sense of community. They are just socializing literally all day long. They have friends from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. They party all night, they dance together. And when I was thinking about this, I was like, "You know what? I'm checking off all the boxes, but I'm not checking off the socializing box. I'm not going out with friends. I'm not having a fun time because that is just as critical as meditating." Um and so when i'm going out with friends i kind of frame it from that lens which is that this is good for my longevity this is going to help me live a healthy life sure i'll like have a couple of drinks but in the long term this will actually like benefit me in the grand scheme of things being with friends reduces cortisol probably reduces inflammation i feel happy and there you, you know you can't quantify that so i try to just kind of think about it from a trade off uh, but then kind of frame it in in this sort of like in this framework that it's not too bad for me given that for me it's one of the core pillars of living a good and healthy life. Yeah, I like that you have that one. I think there's I've seen like if I could broadly generalize it there's like two camps of people who want to live a long healthy life. Like in one camp you have the highly quantified view like there's this guy Brian Johnson who you might know but basically he's like this tech guy he he made a bunch of money i think in paypal or something now he does a bunch of other stuff and he's known for like his insane regimen around diet and exercise like he does all the crazy shit around like infrared light his diet is just like plants nuts and seeds and he looks really young for how old he is and his like biological age of his body and stuff super young but also doesn't seem like he's having a great time with life i mean maybe he is just like an anomaly but then you have the other camp of like these blue zone people where they're just kind of like smoking cigs and drinking glass of wine at like 2 p.m. in the afternoon sounds like you're more team blue zone <laughs> is that accurate let's go party y'all no um i think it's a balance um i clearly don't live <clears throat> in the world they do so you know my social activities are very different from theirs so then i have to really calibrate basically my protocols and my practices based on my lifestyle. 
it's it's hard to like eat healthy and exercise and sleep well. Those are hard things. But if I can check off, let's say like 70 to 80 percent of them every day, then I can give myself a little leeway to play with. I agree with that so much. Like your life is long. It's going to be a long time. And so you need to find practices that you can be consistent over a long period with that can also rock with like the different areas, time zones, people, work that you're trying to deal with. So I don't know how Matt actually does this through nomadic travel, but I actually would love to hear a bit about that. Yeah, actually, this is very beneficial for me to hear. Like, I know we're doing this podcast, but hearing your fifth point actually sticks out to me because I feel like I maybe did not put as much weight into that in terms of thinking about how to live a long, healthy life. And like an example was I was traveling a bunch the last couple of weeks. I was in San Diego and then I was back home in the Bay Area for Thanksgiving and in San Diego, I let myself go a little bit loose. My friend and I, we went to Oscars, which is like this really popular fish taco place. And I had this torta with like fish, sea- other seafood, steak. And it was just like this decadent, cheesy sandwich. And it was so good when I was eating it. But then I felt kind of like shit afterwards. I was kind of beating myself up for, you know, uh, eating this sandwich. But like hearing you say like, oh, it's uh, this depends on how you view it. At, at the end of the day, like, I really enjoyed it. Maybe I should just be kinder to myself. Yeah, I think we could use a lot of that. We're like the biggest critics of our own selves. And so it's okay to just, you know, just enjoy a good sandwich. This is a hot take. But I think one way to do everything is to just love some things that are also good for you. Like, not a lot of people like turkey or kale. But when I eat those, it's like I'm eating a cookie. And so I've trained my body to like really love those things. And it's not only healthy, but it can also be a good for you. It's partially knowing how to make it something that is familiar to you. So I really like sour things. So I add a little bit of vinegar and it makes it taste really good to me. You can't do this everything, but imagine if you're not getting enough sleep. Uh, train yourself to love sleep. Like Focus on what makes you feel good after getting eight hours and then that not only is good for you, you also feel good about it. Instead of counting calories, you can say like, this meal I ate is making me feel really good. And I think that's a good mental shift to it. Now I've tried to like structure my day where I put all the like heavy thinking stuff in the morning when I'm I'm caffeinated. But I think the double-edged sword of that is like when I'm, when it's in the afternoon or on some day where I'm not drinking coffee, I tend to tell myself like, Oh, I'm not going to be able to like get anything done. I'm not going to be able to read a really like dense book. I'm not going to be able to get any like creative work done because I'm not caffeinated. And I feel like that's something I've been trying to think like work through. Do you have the same issue or not really? Um, I think there are days when I take like breaks, maybe very rarely. And of course, caffeine has like withdrawal effects because it changes the biochemistry of your brain. Um, and so I'm sure like the effects that you're having are, are very prominent across people who try to take breaks or like want to get like a lot of work done on days they're not consuming coffee. Uh, you know, building a company, I, I just, I've just come to realize that I'm, I'm going to drink coffee every day and just kind of enjoy it because that's one thing that's non-negotiable for me now, which is like having my cup of joe or some matcha. I think matcha has been really nice for me because it has L-theanine, which I think I might have told you about, which makes you feel more at ease, more calm. And caffeine doesn't have L-theanine. So when I drink coffee, I'll like supplement with L-theanine. So that way I can get the, the feeling of like calm 
uh, while having like sort of the, the focus and the alertness from ca- the caffeine that I drink. You know, one of the articles I read in the past, and I'd have to dig to find it, it talks about how you can be happier doing the same amount of things if you just anticipate it more. Before you drink your cup of coffee in the morning, be excited to drink that cup of coffee. People who looked forward to a vacation far out into the future, thought about it, got a lot more value from that vacation because they were enjoying that vacation leading all the way up to it. Right? They were having happy thoughts about what they would get. And then they would actually enjoy the vacation. They would get to think about it from the past. So I feel like it's a way to like not just capture a moment in time, but to have the benefits leading into it and then leading out of it. That's one interesting way you can actually build more happiness in your body, which I'm sure releases those compounds that actually generate more dopamine and make you healthier, live yeah. longer. Yeah, definitely. Are you thinking about any other biohacking pieces uh, to yourself, to the community? Have you read about anything interesting? I'm a really big proponent of like just sauna baths only because there's been so much. I think uh, one of the studies we talked about had like 17,000 participants where you know, after following a very specific protocol, uh, it reduced um, cardiovascular disease by 55% and the neurological disorders by like 66%. That is insane. Can you quickly share the protocol with us? Because I go to a gym right now that has a steam room and I was talking to Abe and I were talking about you before this and I was saying how I go in for like 10 minutes and then Abe was like telling telling me about this protocol he didn't really go into it but apparently you're supposed to go to when it feels unpleasant and then keep going so can you just break that down I think there's like the minimum threshold the minimum time and the setting that you need to be in to actually have the effects uh, that, that I sort of told you about around like reducing neurological disease and cardiovascular disease is the following. So you have to spend four to seven days per week. Each session must be 19 minutes at the minimum. And the temperature has to be between 175 to 195. And I think the higher the temperature is, the better it is. So four to seven times a week, 20 minutes in a sauna that's around like 185, 190. That is a protocol that they actually used in the study. And then the effects that they actually reported were from like following this particular uh, protocol. It is not fun sitting in a sauna. I was in a sauna yesterday for like 21 minutes. I was like, I'm ready to leave. But it's, it's all about like pushing yourself, like the perseverance. Like, can I do this? For some reason, it trains me to just like learn about my body and then just push through. Because my body thinks like, this is it. Like you have to get out now. But it's all in the brain. All right, we've been going for a bit. This has been super insightful. I think we got to wrap with... I got one last question. I feel like people that are founders are a very interesting breed of people. Unless you're born knowing what you want to do, you go through this process of like searching for the right idea. And then even like what you're talking about, you pivot. And so I just feel like founders are tend to be very curious people and like constantly trying to figure out how to spend their time, live a very intentional life. So in a hypothetical world, if you couldn't be a founder, wondering what would you be doing? few things i mean look i i'm not like good at one thing i just like everything so much so ideally i would love like if i could like live in any era i would love to be like a philosopher back in like ancient greece because then i can like just like ponder about all of these questions about ex like existence biology psychology sort of like a polymath kind of a, a thing but if in this day and age if i had to like pick something i just really like biology 
if have a good understanding of how the body works and I can educate people in my life like my parents who are like you know getting old and I'm like I want to help you live a good life or this sounds silly but I really 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 thought that I would like try becoming a stand-up comedian in, in the city like I swear to god I was like if nothing works out I'm gonna go just comedy seller and just do as many shows as I can and, and just see if this is for me now I'm not sure if comedy is for me but I thought hey what's the worst that can happen just <laughs> you know so those are a couple of things that sort of like stand out to me in true Keisha fashion I asked for one thing and you gave three things philosopher biologist and stand-up comedian but I, I really like all of those answers like all, of, all three of them maybe you could find a way to do all three of them together cool so we we got a wrap this has been super insightful i i actually took away a lot um from this for the people that might be listening where if they want to learn more about you where can they find you so you can find me on twitter or you can just like go to my blog and send me an email awesome find keshav on twitter we'll link all the things in the details Again, thanks a bunch for being our first guest on this podcast episode. We want to go deeper in exploring why people do what they do. And today we got to learn about Keshav, his family, moving to America, going to college, dropping out of college immediately, his views on taking risks, how to live a long and healthy life while balancing community. I think a bunch of stuff that I took away as well. And we look forward to hopefully having you again in the future and hearing what you do next. That's it. That's a wrap. Woo.